I don't know what those white people in this country feel. I can only include what they feel from the state of their institution. Now, this is the evidence. You want me to make an act of faith, risking myself, my wife, my woman, my sister, my children, on some idealism which you assure me exists in America, which I have never seen. So today, we have a guest who I think is just amazing. I've been listening to her book and the way in which she tells her story is so powerful and it speaks for so many. She is Emerald Garner, the daughter of Eric Garner. When you think of the words, I can't breathe and his story, she is his daughter. Hi, Emerald. Thanks so much for joining us today. Hello, and thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. We're honored to have you. As I always do when we when we interview African-American guests, I always start it off with who are you? Because even in your book, you talk about how people just presume so much about who you are and what you have and what your atten- intentions were. And you were a person before all of this happened, and you are a person now. And so... I just want us to give space to know who is Emerald Garner. Well, there's a lot to me. um, And I always say activist last. Mm -hmm. Um, The first thing I leave with is that, you know, I'm I'm a woman. Yes. Um, I am a mother. Yeah. I am a nurturer. (laughs) I am, you know a planner, a a teacher, a doctor, you know, school cafeteria, lunch lady, um, you know, all of those things. I wear many hats and I always say activist last. And before I say activist, I say survivor. Yes. Um, And, you know, like, as I explained in the book, um, it was my journey to finding my voice. So I've noticed like from a very young age, I've always been the person to ask a lot of questions. Um, You know, I'm a fast learner. um, And I'm also always the type of person that wants to help. And um, before I became Emerald Garner on television, you know, I've always been um, pretty personable, approachable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I did a lot of things, um, especially, you know, doing spoken word when I was younger, wow. just um, doing different programs. Um, I even took a construction class. I had no intention on being a construction worker, but I took the class wow. because it was free and available to me. And I've always wanted to figure out what my purpose is. And um, when I became Emerald Garner, I just didn't know what I wanted to do at all because I had this this person, um, this persona forced on me yep. that I, I did not ask for. Yep. So um, when I when I say that, you know, I'm a mother, um, you know, I wear many hats. I do this. I do that. Um, I say it because I want people to understand me and why I do the things that I do, why I am the way that I am. Um, because, you know, when you see somebody and you see that they're just this angry person all the time and they just don't care about anything, something had to happen for them to get there. So I, I always value people's story and, and, you know, what they've been through as a way of looking at who they are. Absolutely. And I, you said that, you know, you had to come to terms with who you were. And I would say that you've always been who you were in the making. Mm-hmm. Um, you've always been Emerald Garner. Your very name, I mean, it's such a beautiful name. And I love how all the siblings' names start with E. I love that. And the thing is, is that the world has to catch up with who you are. You sit in who you are. You take up spaces as as who you are. 
but we got to catch up with who you are. And that's on us. So I want to ask you as well, and this is a little different, but your father and your sister, like if you would be able to just kind of speak for them or speak to your experience with them and their life and your time with them, who was Eric Garner? I always tell people that I got to know my father as an adult Mm -hmm. through the people that knew him. Yes. And I tell people, you know a person by the child that they raised. Like, you know, you, uh, everybody raised their children and their children picks their, people pick their paths. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it, it, it's not always what your parent taught you that leads you to where you are because things happen in life. Yeah. So I just say that I'm very fortunate to have the father that I did. Mm-hmm. Um, he showed us what it means to be a part of a family. He showed us what it means to be the head of the household. He showed us what it means to be a girl dad and a boy dad. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I, I had, I was a rebellious teenager, as I say in the book. Um, so, you know, I was very defiant. I was, I always wondered why I felt like people should, should, um, understand that, mm-hmm. but people wouldn't understand that if they didn't know who my father was right. knowing how things are. So he was the type of person that he would give you the clothes off of his back. If everybody looks at the video, which I looked at, unfortunately, you can see that my dad didn't even have shoelaces in his shoes. Mm-hmm. He didn't have shoelaces because things like that weren't important. But my brothers had all the $500 this and all the name brand stuff so that they wouldn't have to go out and try to figure out how to get that stuff. He was It was always provided to us. We never had to want from anything from anybody. And that was one of the things that, um, that is one of the things that I admire my father about is that he never left us. Mm-hmm. He never um, showed us that we weren't important. He never gave us um, any type of hint or any type of, um, clue that he was going to leave us. Um, that was never, that was never an option. We were never left without him. So it's like anything, anytime that I needed anything or wanted anything or needed to do anything, he was there for us. And, you know, I say that to say that, you know, he was the type of person that was always there for you. And if you speak to people that have known him, they'll be like, oh, well, if you was hungry, he would buy you something to eat. If you was thirsty, he would definitely make sure you get something to drink. I remember being a child and being outside. And as soon as my father cut the corner, like, hey, ice cream truck is there. And he wasn't just buying ice cream for his kids. He was buying ice cream for the whole block because that's just how he is. He's like, if if I'm going to come outside and my kids are playing with other kids, I'm not going to just buy for my kids. I'm going to buy for all the kids that are around them. Mm-hmm. And that's just how he was. And that's what he installed in us. And we have those those values um, because of him. And he was the type of person that was very hardworking, very dedicated. Um, he showed us consistency. Yeah. He showed us dedication. He showed us the love that he had for my mother. I know what marriage is. I respect marriage on a whole different level mm-hmm. from what is, is really happening in this world. So, you know, like when I talk to people and they want to give me relationship advice, I'm like, okay, I, were you married? Did you go through things? No, you did not. So you cannot give me no advice for relationships right. if you haven't been through it. And I use my parents' relationship um, as as my guidebook because my father never left my mother. My mother was never left with the kids to, to figure it out on her own. Mm. So he was never in the category of a deadbeat. So I don't, I don't know what that feels like. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So that's what I always say about my father is that he stood up, he did what he had to do, and he never left us. And those are the most important things to a girl growing up. Never being left, feeling love, and always having somebody as your savior. And he was he was our savior. Yeah, yeah. You tell in, in the in your book about how even when you would make mistakes, and he wouldn't rub that in your face, he would yeah. just immediately just take you in and let you know that you were loved, that you were accepted, that like we'll figure this out. 
Um, I just think that that was a, like a powerful anecdote about his character. Yeah. Yes, especially when, um, well, my sister got pregnant first. She had her daughter first. And then um, when I had my daughter, I was like, oh, my gosh, they're going to disown me. They're never going to want to talk to me again. Oh, my gosh. So it was just like one of those things. But when I called, it was just like, okay, just know that you're not going to get what you want anymore. I was like, wait, what? (laughs) Just know that you're not going to get what you want. So we're going to make this very clear to you that now that you had a child, it's not about you. It's about the baby. So when you call me, make sure that it's about the baby. But it never was. He still took me shopping. He still bought me clothes. He still did whatever. But he let it be known, like, this is what you should be thinking about. This Your child is what's important. Like, oh, you need something? That's nice. But what does my grandchild need? Mm-hmm. And, that's, and that's what it was as soon as, you know, we started to have kids and get our own apartments. And I remember one time falling behind in my rent. And, excuse me. And I think it was like $300 that I owe. Like I was behind like $300. And he's like, I could give you this $300, but what you going to do next month when it's time to pay the rent? Mm. So I remember having that conversation where it's just like, I could bail you out every single time, but what are you going to do when I'm not here? Yeah. And then fast forward two years later, he told me that 2012 and then 2014, he died. Mm. So I really had to figure out how to make stuff happen and knowing that I don't have that safety net. Mm. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And what we what people forget is that we are more than a hashtag. We are more than a headline. Um, he was a human being and he impacted the lives of people around him. He had a family. He was generous. He did not abandon his family. He was loving. And self, self-sacrificially loving. Yeah, I love mm-hmm. that. Thank you for sharing that. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, who is Erica Gardner? I read about, I mean, I, you know, listening to the book, I was cracking up at some of the stuff that you were saying about how she would whip people's tails as the oldest sister. Like, I'm the oldest sister, so I know how to get, I, I know about getting down. <laughs> and so I love that, you know, when you, when you're, 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 the way you spoke of your sister is so powerful. But tell us, who is Erica? Yes, Erica um, was my father's mini me. <laughs> um, that's what everybody used to say all the time. She looked just like my father. And um, I used to feel a certain way. I used to be like, okay, well, you know, I look like my mother. She looks like my father. Like, you know, I want to have darker skin. I want to have thicker hair. I want to have this. I want to have that. So it was, it was just like really interesting um, having us grow up. And then for a long time, people thought we were twins. Mm. So it was really funny to like trick people. <laughs> we used to trick people. It was like, oh, I'm Erica. So they were like, oh, okay. But wait, hold up. I just say, you're not Erica. And then, like, my mom will come and be like, um, one has glasses and one doesn't. Like, how, how are you getting them mixed right. up? Like, what is going on? Uh, but it just didn't matter. We, we Everybody called us the twins. Um, she was, like I said, she was the fighter. She was the one that, mm. you know, she was the one that was wild. She was the rebel. Um, but she always had a sense of being a protector, yeah. being um, a leader, yeah. um, always, you know, taking the lead in everything. Um and like I said, growing up, like she did a lot of the fight in the battles and, you know, doing a lot of, you know, just 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 being the protector overall um, mm-hmm. for all of us. And it, it, it carried over into adulthood. Um, she was very dedicated. She was a giving person. She'll give you everything that she has. Like if you're hungry, she'll feed you. You need mm-hmm. a dollar, she'll give it to you. But she going to want her dollar back. <laughs> so <laughs> yes, she was like, right, listen, I gave you I gave you four hundred dollars for Christmas. Okay, that's fine. She loved to get... Okay, I need my money back. <laughs> so Hilarious. it was just one of those, like, you know, she was like, you're not going to get over on me, I but it. I will help you out. And it was interesting to see her journey after my father died and to see the dedication and to see her turn into a politician when she did not like school at all. 
So I was like, you didn't even, you didn't like going to school with the with the English and the social studies. Her favorite subject was math. She was very good with numbers, very good with numbers, very good with money. <laughs> Excuse me. Whereas with me, I just know how to count my money and spend it. So, but she was definitely the type of person um, that was into into you know numbers. Numbers was her thing. So like anything that has to do with numbers, that was her thing, and she was very fast with it. And then um, me, I was the reader. So, you know, she was like uh, with the money, with the hustle, with the hustling, like, you know, having to, to really think about things critically, yes. like, you know, having to put things together. Oh, this makes sense for this. When she started talking about politics and, you know, um, laws, executive orders, and they started talking about oh, the hustle of trying to figure out where her place was in politics. And when she would break stuff down to me, I'd be like, you know, I never even thought about it that way. Wow. I'm like, you know, I never even knew this. Or, oh, I didn't pay attention enough in history class to know this. She was like, I remember doing this in school, but now it's actually coming into play. So she was definitely um, intuitive in that way. Like she would catch on really quickly where it's like, okay, I don't understand anything that you just said. This is a foreign language. Please break it down in layman's terms. Wow. Um, so that's, um, and then she was able to do that, especially when it came to everything that had to do with my father, yeah. because I don't think that it was that I didn't understand. I didn't want to understand. I don't want to talk about politics. I don't want to go to court. I don't want to deal with lawyers. I don't want to deal with police officers. I just did not want to do it because I was just so angry. And I'm just like, hmm, they might say the wrong thing. Then I'm going to go off. Then I'm going to mess up the whole meeting. And she'd be like, no, that's not, you don't have to do that. You don't have to do this. But then that's what would end up happening. So I was just like, you know what? This is just too much for me. So her, her taking on that role was, it was like heaven for me. I was like, okay, Erica, you do it. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll do the paperwork. I'll watch the kids. I'll do your schedule. I'll make sure your clothes are ready. I'll write down your notes and take notes and stuff like that. I said, that's what I would do. And that was my role when we were doing things. And then when she got sick and then, you know, she had the first heart attack. Mm-hmm. Then she had my nephew and all of this stuff was going on. I was just like, well... You know, you you can't leave us because you started all this. So you got to be here to finish it. So when she was when she was in the coma, because I didn't speak to her um, while she was going through, I was just like on the phone. But then when we finally, like, as I explained in the book, when we got to the hospital, she was already in a coma. So I feel like I never got to say goodbye. I never got to say what I needed to say. I never got to tell her what I wanted to tell her. And um, during that time when she was in the hospital, I'm going to get emotional, so I'm going to talk fast. When, that's um, okay. when, when she was in the hospital... Um, when I came to see her the eve, like the day before my birthday, and then I came to see her on my birthday, um, the, we, that, those were the two days. And then the third day when I came back, they said, oh, she had active, she had brain activity. And then they were saying from this time to that time, I was like, oh, I was here at that time. So her brain was having reactions when I was in the hospital with her. Wow. So I was just like, okay, now I know she heard me. Mm-hmm. So it was just like one of those things, like, I know she heard me now. So um, it was just like super emotional for me. And it was just like, you know, seeing her go through that. Sorry, seeing her go through that was 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 a lot. So mm-hmm. just having the, the, the opportunity to to co- commemorate her and to remember her um, in these ways is, is very therapeutic for me because, you know, not being able to say goodbye, not being able yeah. to have that last conversation. It affects you a lot. And, you know being I didn't get to say goodbye to my father. I, I didn't get to say goodbye to her. Like that, that was, that was really heavy on me. And then when fast forward to last year, uh, 2020, when I was taking care of my grandmother, she had dementia and she was living with me. Um, and she, she did home hospice. Mm-hmm. And I really, really wanted her to do home hospice because I didn't get to say goodbye to my sister. I didn't get to right. say goodbye to my father. So I was like, y'all are not going to take, like, I don't know who y'all is, but y'all are not going to take my opportunity Come to on. say goodbye. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So that's and that's what I did. She she stayed at home and she took her last breath at home with me while I was mm-hmm. holding her hand. So for me, that was confirming saying goodbye to my father, saying goodbye to my sister, saying goodbye to my grandmother. Actually, get like telling her, oh, tell them a message for me. Like that that made me want to be want to break out more. As you can see in the book, when my when my sister passed away, Reverend Sharpton said, now you're the leader. Mm-hmm. You're the person that mm-hmm. has to step up. You have to advocate for your family. Mm-hmm. I did exactly the opposite. I went in my room, didn't <laughs> went in my house, did, right. did no interviews. I did nothing for two years yeah. because I needed that time yes. to get myself together and get the kids together. Because after my sister passed, I took her two children. Everything that you said, thank you for sharing and giving us more insight into the character and the personhood of your of the three generations, like your grandmother, mm-hmm. your dad, and your sister. Three generations of loss between 2014 and like now. It's it's a lot, and it's traumatic. And you talk about in the book how what killed your father and who killed your father also killed your sister. And it probably had just that residual impact with your grandmother. Like, after that happened, your family was never the same. And the thing that people don't think about is, like you said in the book, everybody wants you to, do you forgive? And and they're asking you these questions for these little sound bites that they can run with. But nobody thinks about you as a human and and everybody like you're flung into activism you might not have been an activist black people should not have to be activists we should not have to make those life sacrifices because of injustice like eric garner didn't sacrifice his life his life was taken from him um he didn't ask to be a martyr he was made one and then his family was flung into this space of activism when you guys were just beginning to work through some of the things and the, you know, some of the things that families have to work through because family, families go through things. So then you're working through stuff and then you're in this stage of life. And then here's something that, that, that pushes you back. And so I guess I just kind of want you to speak more and, you know, just remember some of the, the things that were said in the book, speak more about that. Like, when Black people, specifically Black women, when our tears and our pain is like almost weaponized against us in a lot of ways, but when it when we're flung into this activism spot that we didn't ask to be in and the world is watching and judging. What I always tell people is that if you don't take care of yourself when you're thrust into this, you'll end up just like Erica. Yeah. And if I didn't take the time to save my life and, and save my 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 psyche pretty much yeah. um i would be i would have suffered the same fate yeah. as as she did um you know oftentimes people don't understand um some of the impact so with my sister she watched that video a uh, god knows how many times yeah. and you know for her it was trying to figure out put the pieces together like go through each and every scenario each and every um situation step by step but for me i didn't watch the video till 5 years later when i was sitting in the courtroom with the officer so, um, I do believe that if I watched the video on day one, as she did, I think that things would have went a lot different and it would have been a lot worse. Yeah. Um, only because, you know, mentally I was not there 
to watch the movie. I, 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 I could not be there to watch it. So as you read in the book, you'll see that I tell a lot of people, like, if you play the video, I'm walking out. Right. Because I'm here to, to record. Yeah. I don't need to be here when you're playing that part of the Absolutely. video. And if you think that that's okay, then I don't need to be a part of this platform. Absolutely. So like I, I've walked out of interviews before because of that. And, and you know, I've told them, like, I didn't sign the, 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 the photo release or the press release or the release that they need to make sure that I'm on, that I can be on there, on, on their um podcast or show or whatever. And these were, like, pretty pretty up there people and it was just like if you guys are not sensitive to my emotions and how I feel and how I'm yes. going through this then you don't need to interview me Absolutely. I was like because this is triggering I have to keep reliving 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 I was actually talking to one of the pastors in my church before my book tour before my book launched and before the book tour and I'm like I'm feeling a lot of anxiety mm. I'm feeling very anxious I'm feeling very jittery I'm feeling very um unstable I feel like I want to go back in my house and close my door and never talk about it again like I wrote the book just let it go and um you know, he was just like, it's because everything is coming back up for you, but this is what you need. This is what you need, because how did you get through it before? How did you get through to, to getting to write a book? You talked about it. You went yeah, places. You, yeah. you spoke about it. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, you, you talked about it. You went places. You spoke about it. You um, attended meetings. Mm. Um, you might not have. I, I didn't do traditional therapy um when I got with a therapist who didn't understand me or started to talk more about my father's situation than to talk more than to talk to me about my situation I knew that that therapist wasn't for me right like you know I went to different places I didn't start going to church consistently until this year Mm. because I felt like I I felt like I felt like one of two things either God is mad as hell at me because I did something and I'm not being forgiven for it or God is putting this on me um, to break me. And the, and that's honestly how mm. I felt. Those were the two things that I was feeling the most over the past eight years. And it wasn't until I started, I started attending virtually. And this was after I had, I had a, a sinus surgery in the beginning of this year. And I had complications after that and a blood vessel burst in my face mm. and I lost blood. And the ho- because of the hospital's negligence, I had to leave the hospital and they had to call me back. They called me at home and they were like, we need you to come back to the hospital. They shouldn't have let you leave. You need an emergency blood transfusion right now. Mm. Your blood count is so low. We don't understand how you even made it from the hospital home. I said, I was so dizzy from passing out and all of this stuff inside that hospital. You did not care for me. I told y'all that I have a headache. I cannot sit up. Y'all proceeded to take the wheelchair from me, put me in a chair and thought that I was going to sit there for a couple of hours. I said, I left that hospital four hours ago. And you're just now calling me to tell me that I need a blood transfusion. And when I get back to the hospital, I better not sit in nobody's waiting chair. (laughs) I don't want to be in nobody's waiting area. Mm -hmm. I said, because I told y'all that I did not feel good. I was cold. My lips was turning blue and everything. Now, what if I would have went home and went to sleep and died? Because of the negligence at this hospital. So it was just like one of those things where it's just like, okay, God is talking to me right now. You just had a life, a life threatening situation Mm. where people, the black woman stigma, where black woman's pain is not that bad. Oh, you're not that bad. Sit in this chair. And they did it to me. And I was like, you know what? Not only have I been brutalized in front of the whole world because of what happened to my father, I walk into a hospital as a black woman and I'm not receiving the, the care that I need. Yes. Coming to a point where I had to get an emergency blood transfusion to where when I walked into the hospital, they knew exactly who I was and walked me to the back. Because y'all know yep. that th- what y'all did was wrong. Yep. So now y'all trying to trying to fix it. And I'm not a go, I'm not a go around trying to sue everybody kind of person. Right. But I definitely had a case. 
Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm not trying to be in a new. I'm not trying to sue everybody. I'm not a career lawsuit person. That's right. not what I do. Right. But it's just identifying and noting that this is real. Yeah. This is real. And then people try to say, oh, you're imagining things. Oh, it's not that serious. Don't tell me what's serious when I'm feeling what I'm feeling. Right. Oh, that it's not that serious when I'm feeling what I'm feeling. And that's why I always say to people, and as we go through this and we, we do this, I allow people so much grace. Yeah. I give people more grace than I ever have in my whole life. Yeah. Because it's like, I really understand what it means to be at rock bottom and you're walking around and people are thinking everything is okay when you're hurting on the inside. Yeah. Like, I, I know what that feels like to be dying on the inside and nobody's listening to you. Yeah. And, and that's that's why I say all the time, you have to save yourself. You have When when I see a family and they're like, what advice do you have for other families of, of police brutality? Say no. Hmm. They want you to go do an interview. If you do not feel like it, say no. Because no. guess what? Whether you go to that interview or not, the world is going to keep talking about you whether you want to or not. So yes. you have to take care of yourself. Hmm. Come on. Hmm. And just thinking about your sister's experience, she and she's in the hospital. And the po- like that blew my mind that the police was in her room. I mean, talk about just, I don't know, the dehumanizing. And the disrespect, I don't, I don't know what they were looking for. Yeah. And the disrespect, but, and it's interesting Um, because that is the, like black women, our pain levels, medical negligence, medical disparities in your book, you cover so many things that, that this podcast is, is pulling back the layers on. And so it's just crazy. I, I was blown away. Why are you in a woman's hospital room? When she can't do number lay there. And what are you looking for? It was it was crazy because when my mom told me, you know, I, I lived in Manhattan at the time. So I had to, you know, find a babysitter, do this, do that. And then when I left and my mother told me this, I was just like, well, they're not letting the kids up because, you know, she was in ICU. So you cannot bring the kids upstairs. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it was just it was just crazy. And I was like, you know, the person that was supposed to be there. Um, that was in the room and I'm her friend I'm this person I'm that person is making me look at you with a side eye because how could you allow this to happen when we left you here to be on this shift so we can go take care of whatever and then come back to the hospital Mm. so you know that that kind of made me feel a certain way like were you were you a part of this Mm. Uh, are you like are you really on our side like what is really going on here so that makes me very untrustworthy I have asthma and if I'm having an asthma attack I would not call 911 when right. I was when when I had the blood vessel burst in my face, I waited two hours for paramedics. My wow. nose was bleeding. I told them I have uncontrollable bleeding. I'm soaking up bath towels. I mean beach mm-hmm. towels. Big beach towels are full of blood. And I'm calling y'all and I'm like, I can't drive. I live home alone. Luckily I wasn't home with the children. And it's just like, you know, people don't understand those ish those things that you face when you're trying to be um, the person that, that 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 is sharing for your loved one. This is my father's situation. So when people invite me out, yes, I do want to go. I do want to go, but I, I can't bring my children to every 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 event. I can't bring them to every um, booking or whatever. You know, I gotta pay people to babysit. I have my sister's two children, so now I have three kids. Do you know how hard it is to get a babysitter for three kids? It is hard. Yeah. So how am I going to make it to every protest? How am I going to make it to every press conference? How am I going to make it to every social justice event? if you guys don't make it possible for us to get there. And yeah. by making it possible for us to get there is allowing us the resources and giving us resources that we need. Yeah. My sister's children need therapy. Yep. I have to go through Medicaid. Oh, you got to wait this l- X amount of time before you could get an appointment. 
You got to wait three months. And then when that appointment get there, the therapist calls out. Mm. And then you can't even get it. You got to wait another three months for therapy. I don't understand why we don't have our own system for therapy, yeah. for therapists. Why don't we have our own package? Okay. Once this happens, here you go. Here's six months of therapy. And after that six months, we'll revisit. We'll do this. We'll do that. None of that stuff was provided to me. What was provided to me was to stand on somebody else's platform, make their platform bigger. And I'm still sitting here trying to figure out how to piece my life back together. Oh, my gosh. You said something. You shall know what to say. Yeah. Yes, sis. I just want to affirm everything that you are speaking. Yes and amen. Thank you. Yes and amen, sis. Yes and amen. Y'all got something to ask because I'm just like... (laughs) (laughs) Child. I get fired up and it's just like I start to think about Listen. all the stuff from back in the day and it's just like I got I got some stuff to say to these people like do you understand what you did to me do you understand that what you did affects me to this day come on to man. this day I can I will not call 911 I was in an emergency situation yeah. last week where I should have called 911 I should have dialed 911 but I did not because wow. of who I am wow I did not I don't tell people who I am because one of two things are going to happen they're going to come to me with their opinions or they're going to come to me asking me questions about a lawsuit. Like I have millions of dollars in my bank account. Right, right. Like, absolutely not true. Like, y'all know everything, but y'all don't know it's seven people on the lawsuit. But y'all right. know everything else. Right. And that's the first thing that you guys want to ask me about or ask me about some other family or some other person's situation. And it's just like, for me, my forever story is Eric Garner. Right. Mm-hmm. So I can feel empathy for, for other cases. But the officer and my father, the officers and people involved in my father's case will never go to jail. Yeah. So I will never get the justice that I deserve. So yeah. don't ask me anything about anybody else if it has nothing to do with Eric Garner. I'm always going to stand up for my people. I'm always going to mention the names of Devontae Clark and um and, and all of and you know um Sandra Bland yes. and you know Mike Michael uh, Michael Brown and mentioning all of those names. We stand with them. We're yeah. family with them. Yeah. You don't need me. You don't need to talk to me about them. Go and talk to them. Come on. They need the platform. They need the people to talk to. They need the therapy. They need all of this because I've been dealing with this for eight years. Mm. And y'all didn't do anything to help me, but y'all can absolutely do something to help them. Yeah. Y'all didn't have what I needed eight years ago and you still don't. Yeah. But I'm telling you what I would have needed at that time. So that's what y'all need to be doing. We need to be providing mental health services, providing child care services, providing resources to jobs. We're providing resources to um to, to apartments, to places, to things. To rest. Making sure that the kids have to rest. Mm-hmm. To rest. That to and, rest. and that's one of the things that I really needed was rest. Yes, yes. But I had to deal with three children, three mm-hmm. different grade levels, in remote learning, two different schools, Their parent-teacher trauma. conference. You know, I still have to pay bills. Mm-hmm. I still have to buy clothes. I still have to buy food. I still have to make sure that they have everything that they need. Make mm-hmm. sure that I, I am doing everything that I need to do to adhere to these rules put on us by, by, the, by the system yeah. that tells us what we can and can't do with our, with our children. Yeah. So I have to deal with all of that while still battling with the police killing my father and then mm-hmm. my sister dying after that and mm-hmm. still trying to figure out how I'm going to live and how I'm going to survive. Yeah. When I have three mouths to feed and one income. Mm-hmm. They try to make it so glamorous, don't they? Mm-hmm. They definitely try to make it glamorous. Oh, we gave them a settlement, but there's seven people on the settlement. And I didn't get a big portion. And that, that's all public record. So that could be looked. I didn't get a big portion. I didn't get life-changing money. So please, this, this money is not, uh, it's not to, to take care of these kids because now I've got three kids. Yeah. 
have yeah. three kids put through college. Yeah. Well, first of all, the, the youngest one just started school. So I got to put him through elementary school, middle school, and high school. Wow. Mm-hmm. I, my, my niece is older than my daughter. So now I'm thinking about graduation and college and all this stuff for, for my, my sister's child before I can even think about it for my child. How fair is that to my daughter? That now she has to, to share her mother and share the responsibility. She doesn't get all the attention that she used to get in because now I had to take on two extra children. And nobody stepped in to help or alleviate any of that stress. Yeah. And then even help, helping to navigate their trauma while you're navigating your own trauma. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. to see in the dis- depressive state um, that my niece was in for a very long time. Yeah. Like, it took a long time for somebody to make her even smile. Wow. And the fact that I'm seeing her smile right now, is it, it lets me know that what I've been doing has been helping. It's not all the way there. But to see one little smile from her brightens up my day because mm-hmm. she has felt it the most. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you describe in the book, one of the quotes you had, you say, I don't know why people keep telling me I'm so strong. I need to comfort myself. And you're telling me my sister isn't going to make it through the weekend and you're delivering this news to my, and I need to deliver this news to my whole family on my birthday. And just like that thought of like you are strong and people celebrate that strength without realizing the tragedy inherent in having to be so strong. Because Eric was strong. Like he, he was the anchor and the cornerstone of the family and, and he was taken from you. You shouldn't have to be the strong one. Like you should have that help. Like God even meant for you to have your family there whole and not broken by this like corrupt and broken system. And like you shouldn't have to, it's a tragedy that God grieves with you. Like he's like, I hearing you describe your story with Erica, like I felt my eyes tearing and I don't even know her. But what I do know is that God knows and sees her and you and Eric and loves you and grieves with you. And as you were describing like those two options of how God feels, that he, that is he mad at me? Is he punishing me? Does he not care? God commands his people to weep with those who weep, to mourn with those who mourn. And he does that because he, he tells us to do that because that's also what he's doing. And I know, because I feel even in myself, that that's what love does, is it, it enters into your pain and grieves with you. And so I know that that's what God's doing too. You shouldn't have to be strong. And I just want to like lament the tragedy of that. Yes. And the, the strength is like good. It's good that you are strong. It's good that you haven't been crushed by it. But it's, but we shouldn't be like, yay, you weren't crushed by something that should have crushed you without grieving right. that this, you shouldn't be under all that weight. I just, I just am sad with you and enter into that and, and, and invite the audience even to just to grieve. I think is an appropriate response, yeah. and and to to not 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 that we like really understand or can fully be there with you in the grief, but that you shouldn't have to grieve alone. It's almost like we don't have the right to grieve with you, but you shouldn't have to grieve alone. Uh, and so I just like want to enter in and want to like our audience want to invite people to empathize and enter in so that you don't have to be alone, so that you can know there are tens of thousands of people who are just feeling sad with you. Yeah that all this happened to you and that you have all this weight and that you had to be strong. And I want to just take a moment to just do that, like say loud that pause. Because on my way here, my I was telling my youngest son that I was, you know, I've been telling them, you know, I'm going to 
be sitting and talking like with Emerald Garner and I tell you know they know who your father was and as I was walking out my door out out the door my youngest son was like mom like what do I he was like good luck like that's horrible like what do I say I said baby I said pray for Emerald I said pray for her pray for her and you know pray that we you know give her respect, honor, and dignity and and help and make her feel seen and heard. But I, I really, as Garen was saying, you know, we need to just take a pause. Like, and because I see you wiping your face. <laughs> yeah, I get I'm getting emotional. And I'm I'm so sorry, sis. Like, I'm so sorry that you have gone through this, that your family has gone through this. I'm the oldest of three. I have a younger sister. I, I'm so sorry that you lost your sister. You know, I'm so sorry for the burden that you feel and for the ways that you felt invisible and unloved and uncared for in the ways that you've had to be strong. I'm so sorry. I lament. I lament. We lament. We sit with you in this sadness and this is not just an interview where, you know, we want your story. We want people to see you as a human being. This is Emerald Garner, y'all. Like, everything that she is saying, let that sit with you and resonate. And I just want to take a moment to just pause and just like, just a minute, just to pause. There's one other thing that I felt burdened to say kind of coming into this interview that I'll I'll let you decide whether you want this actually included in the audio that we edit or not cuz it's it's mainly a burden of something I want to say to you. I'll include the audience in it, but you can decide afterwards whether you want to keep it. You talked about the forgiveness and the bitterness and and like the, how the media almost wants to bait you into saying that you to forgive the officer who killed your father and and that that is like the story and and then for you, you that puts you in this place where you're wrestling with with your own bitterness and you 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 point out that a student at one point asked you a question of should yeah. you forgive for yourself like let go of that bitterness for yourself not for him but for how it affects you and the thought that I had in that moment and and this is something that I have heard before that was helpful to me on the topic of forgiveness. And I think I want to say it because uh, our audience, there's a lot of people who are listening who have been hurt very badly in different ways. And I think that we misunderstand what biblical forgiveness is. Right. That biblical forgiveness is not condoning or allowing or making small, making light of lessening or like pretending like sin was not vile. That there's almost this this thought of like forgiving is letting them off the hook. Right. Where I think forgiveness as it should be. And and when you get asked by the media, do you forgive? I don't think you need to like give an explanation of of any of this. But I I think just for your own heart, forgiveness, what it should be is letting someone from your hook onto God's hook. 
that God in the Bible says, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. And to know that that he is ferociously furious and has wrath for the evil that has been committed against you. That that forgiveness is is not letting this officer off the hook, but rather God says in Deuteronomy 32, 35, it's mine to avenge, I will repay. In due time, their foot will slip. Their day of disaster is near and their doom rushes upon them. Like that's, that's God's take. He basically says, let me take care of justice for you. And that this officer, he thinks he got away with it. Like he thinks that he can just go on and live his life. But there is a God who takes the side of the grieving and the broken and who takes the side of, you know, all through the Bible, you see God taking the side of victims, of tax collectors and sinners and lepers and prostitutes and like the people who were ignored by society. Like there is a God who takes their side and takes your father's side. And and what his... I think call to you is not that you've forgiven a sense of like, okay, I'm over. Okay, it was okay. But rather for, for, for you to know that you don't have to carry that weight of bitterness, of, of making him pay because God will carry that for you. That God is also like, is your heavenly father to, to, to be strong for you in that respect, that he will avenge and he will repay and I think that that is, that's not to say that that's where you should be is like, okay, like I, I'm, can, I can hand this over to God. But just to know that the call on you is not to be okay with it or not to forgive in a sense of make small of it, but rather to like let God carry that weight of that bitterness. How, how does that land on you, sis? Just, you know, just kind of being mindful of you. How does that land on you? This landed on me so hard. Mm. I have been, the word forgiveness does not sit well with me. And I went to a church retreat. I was talking about going to church and Mm. I got a little veered off because of the healthcare system. But I went to this church retreat and my first question was, what is forgiveness? Nobody's Mm. ever explained to me what Mm. forgiveness. You Mm. tell me forgiveness for me, but what is, what is the explanation? Like, you know, when people say, oh, don't whisper, don't whistle in my house. I would like to know why you don't whistle indoors. And I would like to know why people see forgiveness the way that they do. And I think that the way that you just explained it was so confirming because I'm conflicted about forgiveness. And yeah. I'm not, a, I'm not, I can say that I have a forgiving heart, but mm-hmm. I'm not a very forgiving person. Yeah. I am the type of person, if you do something to me, I walk away and I leave it there. I don't yeah. revisit I don't, yeah. I don't come back. There's no rekindling. There's nothing. And that, and that's how I was, that's how I went through life for a very long time. And I think it wasn't until this year when I started to, like when people say hand it over to God, I didn't understand. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know when, when my apostle was talking about church and talking about different scriptures. I don't know what that means. Open your Bible. I don't have a Bible. Um, find Leviticus, blah, blah, blah. I don't know where that is. And I think that I'm holding my hand on my chest because I, I, I'm literally thinking about all of the conversations that I've had about forgiveness mm. and nobody was ever able to explain it to me in the way that you did. And I appreciate that 
because I've always wanted to know. I've mm-hmm. always, what does it take to forgive? Because we can say we forgive all day, but when you really, really, really think about forgiveness, it's hard. Number mm-hmm. one, it's, it's very hard. So like, like you said, it's not about forgiving and forgetting. You let it go now. Oh, now everything is better because you forgive. But mm-hmm. no, everything is not better because you forgive. But your faith, your hope, yeah, the Holy Ghost, the Bible, yeah. the praying, um, having people pray for you, praying for certain things, um, instead of say, instead of praying for things to happen, I started mm-hmm. to pray for things that I needed. Yeah, and I think that when you explain forgiveness, it's it's like, you know, my family was broken after yeah. this yeah. this stuff. So. After the, uh, this tragedy, I, I don't want to say stuff, but after this tragedy, and I wish that forgiveness was explained to me in this way eight years ago, because mm-hmm. I don't think that we would be as broken as we are today. Mm-hmm. And I don't, and I, 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 I really, before today, before right now, in this moment, I had no, no real, like if my kids were to ask me, what does it mean to forgive? I had mm-hmm. no answer before today. So I just want to definitely uh, um, just to show you appreciation that you broke it down the way that you did, because a lot of people need to hear that. Because a lot of people say, I forgive, I forgive. Oh, I forgive and forget. I let go and let God. But do you really know what that means? Do you know what right. it takes to let go? Do, do you know what it takes? Like in order for me to forgive, that means that I have to be open to dialing 911 when I'm in a crisis. Right. In order for me to forgive is to not have the anxiety of, oh my gosh, I see a police officer. And if I did get pulled over, would they kill me because I'm Emerald Garner? So mm-hmm. I think that forgiving comes with a lot of letting go of the anxiety that I feel because I don't forgive, because I'm not forgiving. Right. So I just appreciate that. It landed and resonated with me so hard because I like I'm like, how do I get there? Um, but even with my mother and even with my father. Um, knowing what, knowing that cer- certain things were out of the, their control. Cause I was mad about a lot of stuff. I'm like, Oh, well, I didn't get this. So, you know, I'm mad, but just to really have that real understanding is like, it's, it's enlightening. Like, I, I really feel like I've been enlightened throughout this conversation. I really appreciate it. And then, you know, I usually, I don't, I don't get emotional yeah. because I'm not given the opportunity to really speak. Yeah. Not given the opportunity often on other platforms to really give that insight and actually get the feedback. And I think that, you know, and I've been saying this since March, God has been talking to me. God has been really talking to me and moving some things in the way and moving things out of the way. And I thought this interview wasn't going to happen today because there was a lot of stuff going on. And I'm so glad that it did happen because it's definitely, Mm, I I appreciate you three. I really do. I, I, I feel like, I feel like mm. I, I feel heard, like you said, I feel heard. And I feel like you understand my pain. Mm. And that's mm. what I wanted from the book. I wanted people to understand me because mm. my anxiety, my depression. Yeah. Yes. Everything that I went through showed up as anger. So for the past couple of yes. years, people have experienced me as being very angry. Um, you know, there's people say it all the time. Oh, you're just so angry. You're just so angry. You're so angry, but never mm-hmm. took the time 
to ask me why I'm angry. Yes. Um, you see me on TV. I have every right to be angry about what happened to my father, but I'm angry about a lot of other stuff that I need y'all to understand that hmm. I, instead of yes. chastising me and judging me, I need you to help. Well, and I think that this conversation put it into perspective and I, I appreciate it. I really do. Absolutely. And we appreciate your vulnerability. You don't. And I, I just kind of want to come uh, um a little bit behind because I wrestle with the idea of forgiveness as well. And the thing about it is this, like there's space for you to have a process for forgiveness. There's days you don't have to understand, days you may understand a little bit more. But the balance of for the, the way that the world wants you to forgive is so that you could put a bow on it. And the way that God wants you to forgive, it's like, it's some, it, I feel like it, 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 Garen did a beautiful job of explaining it. And I know he did that to edify you, but I wrestle with forgiveness. And it's about you're pursuing justice and your pursuit of justice and wanting to see someone behind bars for what they did, which they should be. Your pursuit of justice, that does not, that, that does not mean that you're without forgiveness. Mm. You're pursuing justice, but the act of, of forgiveness involves turning over the vengeance. Mm. It's like people think pursuing justice is trying to, is an act of vengeance. When God clearly says that we need to pursue justice, that we need to seek out justice for Emerald Garner and, you know, every, every family that's in, like we need to pursue justice. But the vengeance part, we could be so diligent and vigilant about justice to make what what is wrong in this world right. But at the same time, it's like while giving the vengeance over. And I feel like you have done that beautifully, but you don't owe that to anyone. And if one day you wake up and you hate his, his guts, that person... Oh, no, I don't forget. It's okay. we, like, we, we can't live. Well, and, and, well, and my <laughs> thing is, if that's that's between you and God. Like, right. you, you, you get to be... You get to work through this process, and it's not something that's instant. Mm. Mm. I, it yes. may take you the rest of your life, it and might. that's okay. And and you should not feel any burden or guilt or shame for whatever you wake up, like whatever you wake up feeling one day, or whatever you're triggered in feeling one in a moment. God is there, absolutely. And that's why I say, like this experience, like this officer, I I, I don't have uh I don't have a a, a long spew about anything towards him in particular, but it definitely yeah. taught me how to deal with other situations, how to deal with yeah. other people, how to, to move through it, um, you know, with grace, <laughs> because yeah. it, if, if I didn't have a lot of grace for a lot of things, yeah, 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 the world would have went up. <laughs> so I'll just, I just like, you know, I'm grateful yeah. and, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for the understanding yeah. uh, for a better understanding of what forgiveness okay. is. Um, like I said, I don't have a lot of it, but I'm 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 open to understanding what that is and how does that Come truly on. feel? Because I'm not going to say something yeah. I don't believe. I'm not going to speak upon something that I don't feel. So that's why I said a lot of times, God, why are you doing this to me? Why are you doing this to me? But when I started changing my thinking, God, why are you doing this for me? What are you trying to show me? I'm fighting you so hard. All right. All right. What are you trying to show me? And once I started to listen and I started mm. to do things, mm. people started to shift attitude started to shift. Um, things in my life started to move around and I was grateful for that. 
and 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 Amen. I appreciated that. And I'm looking forward to the future. I am looking forward to yeah. all of the things that that are in the plans for me. And yes. um, you know, I'm looking forward to building up my organization. I'm looking forward to you know branching out with the book and yes. making sure that you know people get it, read it, see it, and understand mm. it. And you know, working on a documentary. Um, you know, I'm gonna keep talking about it until somebody say, "Hey, I'm doing a documentary." Um, but um, just just being confirming and and knowing that you mm. know I'm not in this alone. First of all, because I felt very alone for a long time, and I have places where I can I can receive help. Um, and if I can't, if I, if there is no place, oh, yes. then I'll create. So as mm. we kind of draw towards the end here, which I we have so many other things I would love to talk to you about, but we can't get to it all. But wanted to... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Uh, I mean, the audience... We need a part You guys two. need to read the book. <laughs> you need to get the book, both to support Emerald and continue to build yes. her platform um, to continue to bring good into the world through um, through that platform. And then also for, for yourself. And, and even as you were saying, like you feel blessed by this interview. Just know like you have blessed us by... Tremendously. Uh, like sharing your story and by mm. our experience of, of reading your book um, and having that opportunity, like you are a blessing to us. Yes. Um, and, and I just want to invite you before we go to, to speak directly to the audience as they yeah. listen. Um, like you are in the ear of people who are driving to and from work or going about their day, doing different things. Um, but what would you want to leave them with? Um, maybe just speak from your heart um, what, what they should take away, either for, as a summary of this interview um, or just like like a marching order. Like a, 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 how would you like to send them off? Yeah, I would like to end this interview, how my book was ended, mm. um, which was an afterword by Eliasha Shabazz. And that afterword means a lot to me because not only did she jump on it to support me, um, but I understand her story. She understands mine and she put a call mm -hmm. to action. My call to action for everybody is healing. We've been through a traumatic um, past 150 to yeah. between the last 150 to 500 years, <laughs> because I would right. say that, uh, that, that slavery is much older than what we claim it to be. Um, slavery is a mind is, is definitely a mind frame and it's one of yes. those things. I mean, not a mind frame It's definitely still existing. And I want people to understand that how we think is how is what happens. And once we change our way of thinking, yeah. then we may be breaking some of these chains that we have. So uh, some of these mental chains that we have and, you know, I, I can understand that we want to be angry. We want to turn the world upside down because, you know, our loved ones just keep getting killed. But I would just ask everybody to open your heart to being a part of your community, working with your young people, making sure that you see what's going on in your community so that we can prevent some of these crimes that are happening, prevent some of these shootings that are happening. Um, you know, I encourage everybody's call mm -hmm. of action is to find out what your mm -hmm. thing is, find your purpose, find your purpose in whatever it is. If it's drawing, reading, dancing, um, you know, <laughs> jumping from, from one place to the other. If you want to be a ninja warrior, I just ask everybody yeah. to tap into what you're passionate about. Because until I tapped into what I was passionate about, I never found happiness. Like I called myself right. queen call out. I would call out of work. Like, listen, I don't even want to be here anyway. So let me call out. I'm going to get a day. So, you know, but now that I'm, I'm tapping into doing exactly what I want to do, what, what my heart is drawing me to, yeah. I've woke, I, I wake the up purpose. in the morning a lot happier. 
I, mm-hmm. I'm encouraged to get out of the bed. I'm very excited to do things um, because I feel like I found my purpose. So I just encourage everybody to try to find their purpose. And what I used to say all the time was let your, let your um, passion be your purpose. Let your pain, turn your pur- purpose into, um, turn your pain and your anger into action. You know, make sure that you're actually doing things intentionally to take care of yourself. Like, do you know how long it took right, for me to be it. consistent with even just getting my nails done? I've had to have somebody tell me, you need to go sit down in the nail salon, sit there for an hour, get your nails done. Sit back, get your nails and your feet done or go to the hair salon. Don't just get the wash and then just get mm-hmm. it blow dry. No, sit under the dryer. Mm-hmm. Take time for yourself. Figure out what that is. Right. I don't get to wake up in the morning and say, you know what? I ain't going to do nothing today. I'm going to just lay in the bed and take care of myself. I don't get to do that because I have three children that wake up in the morning hungry. So I encourage those who can to figure mm-hmm. out, to try to start to figure out what your purpose is and how you're going to make a staple in this world. Because nobody's voice is a small voice. Because, you know, there's a lot of people out here that say Eric Garner, yeah. Eric Garner, Eric Garner. But when I call a march, they don't show up. When I call people to tap into Instagram, mm-hmm. they don't show up. When I tell them to show up for events or whatever, they don't show up. So I just encourage people to find their purpose and let your let your anger mm-hmm. turn turn into an action that actually helps your community. Because if we don't help our own communities, if we don't, if we don't care about where we live, how can we care about the rest of the world? Yeah. How can you care about Eric Garner if you don't care about what happens in your community? So I just encourage everybody to find their purpose, find your voice, um, visit my website, www.wecanbreathe.net. And um, we'll just be posting things. We have our Healing Support Village, which is a woman-led um, support group that we have. Um, we're going to be opening it up to the public once a month. Um, be on the lookout for that. Check me out on social media. Um we're all about healing. We're trying to figure out what our purpose is. We want to heal. We want to be great. We want to do great things. And mm. I encourage people to invite me to their great things. <laughs> so just send the invite. Yes, indeed. Mm. I just followed you on Instagram. So <laughs> come on, see us. So oh, and I, how do we support you? <laughs> of course, buy the book. Of, of course. What else can we do? It would be great if people, of course, purchase the book. Um, but right mm. now we're raising money to start a mental health initiative. So we're starting with the Healing Justice Village group and we want to bring on a full time, um, mm. both clinical and holistic therapist to come in and talk to someone in order for us to hire somebody. We need, we need a salary for them because I do believe that people need to be paid for their work. So I would just say donate on the website, donate through, um, through PayPal, which is We Can't Breathe. And then you could go to the website, um, my Instagram. We have all of that. So, you know, I'm just encouraging a lot of people to donate what you can, even if it's time. If you're a mental health therapist and you have time to speak with people, um, just to do check-ins. This is not like, oh, we're going to put put you on a regular schedule. No, we need to to check in with people. We need to see how people are doing. How are they moving through their day? Because if one thing happens, somebody cuts you off in traffic Mm -hmm. and then the rest of your day is messed up. How are you going through life? Because mm-hmm. how, how are you how are you getting through? Because it's not easy. So um, I just encourage people to do that. Donate, refer people. Um, mm-hmm. the, the best email to get me is info at wecanbreathe.net. Yeah. Um, that's info at wecanbreathe.net. Um, so you know, just reach out, just just try to try to be a part of your community as well. And you know, just be on the lookout for our um healing justice village as we grow to support other people in the movement. Love it. Thank you so much for everything that you're doing. Um, I mean, 
dealing with your your working through your pain, working through the trauma, um, pursuing your passions that are born have been born through this experience. Not, still having hope, um, caring, being a caregiver, being a caretaker, trying to you know find ways to love yourself and care for yourself, um, being a voice for mental health support. which is huge in our community because there are so many disparities that we understand why people don't trust mental health or or support or, you know, the medical community in general. You're doing so many things, sis. And so I just want to say thank you. Thank you for coming today, but also thank you for everything you are doing. God sees and knows and people who, there are people who see and know we see and we are just so blessed um, by, by your work and we thank you thank you so much